Well, it wasn't February 14, it was September 14, 12 years and five months ago today, but who's counting? It was um, the time that I thought it was the right time to ask Elizabeth to marry me. I'd thought about it for a long time. I'd prayed about it for a long time. This is a big decision. I talked to my parents about it, and my mom's response is, what's taking you so long? I guess that's her blessing, right? But there was a piece I had to, to get out of the way first, which to me was the scariest piece of all, and that was to call her father. And he was a long ways away, and so I really couldn't drive up there, and so I decided to just call him on the phone. So being rather nervous, I wrote out the whole part about actually asking for her hand. And so we got on the phone, and how are you doing, you know, the typical stuff, because I never called him <coughs> to talk about the weather. And so after we kind of got through that awkward part, I said, well, I'm thinking you probably are wondering why I'm calling, and that's when I started into my paragraph. You know, Elizabeth and I have been seeing each other for some time, and, and uh, I love your daughter very, very much. And <clears throat> I don't know, I, I looked for it on the computer to see if I could find it to read it to you, and I couldn't. It's probably for the best. <laughs> but I remember getting to the bottom part. Uh, I'd like to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And there was a long silence. <laughs> and after about what seemed to be 15 minutes, he said, Oh, well, when do you plan on doing this? Well, I was thinking sometime in the summer. And Elizabeth and I hadn't talked about it, even though I knew, we've talked about it now, I knew she was the one, and she felt like she knew. And so I thought she knew for sure it was going to be Thanksgiving or Christmas, so I had to do it in September to surprise her. And I had one other favor to ask. I know this is a big thing, and, and if, if you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. But if you could not tell Mrs. Wilson so that uh, Elizabeth could surprise her, because I know she'd love to be able to surprise her. And she's going to be down in, was it next week or sometime on the 14th of September? In Andrews, North Carolina. That was one main hub. Every time they were in, in Africa, they'd come home and furlough. They are in Andrews, North Carolina, and then Russia, the same. And so that was just really home. That was roots for Elizabeth. And her mom was going to be there visiting her mother and her brother and all the rest. And so that was the weekend I had chosen. And if, if it's okay, maybe Elizabeth could be the one to, to surprise her. Well, I don't know. This is a pretty big decision. We usually talk about things like this. Well, I understand, you know, you, you think about it, and if, if you don't feel comfortable with that, even though I knew I had Nancy in the bag. But anyway, if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. Well, as we talked, the more I think about it, I think that'll be okay. That'll, that'll, that'll be fine. So I came up with my plan. My plan, I don't know whether it was a good plan, but this was the plan. The plan was that we we're going to go up to Andrews, North Carolina. I thought Saturday afternoon will probably be the best time. There's no rush. We're not having to get somewhere or get there or anything else. And so I decided that I would get a box. I went to all these different antique stores and just found a shoebox-type wooden box and had to do a little critiquing, put a top on it and different things. 
and I filled it with all kinds of old coins that Dad had from traveling the world. And I put a little Bible in there in a Ziploc bag, and I got her a watch that was engraved with a Ziploc bag, but I figured the watch would die, which it has. And so I also, I wanted to get her a, something she'd have for more forever, so I got her a rocking chair. I don't know, call me crazy. But I had a picture of the rocking chair, and I put that in there. <clears throat> we still have it. You can see it. There's a plaque on the back uh, to prove that I'm a nerd. And so... I had all this in the box, covered it up with coins, and then I tied a rope around it, and I kind of buried it in behind some rocks. It's beautiful falls. They live right there on the edge of the, the preserve land there in, in Andrews, North Carolina. And um, so Sabbath morning, I sneak out with this box, you know, with the rope and the whole thing, trying to hide it, actually. And I'm going down the hill, and I tuck it under there. Her uncle actually saw me. You need to borrow the truck. No, 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 I'm fine. Tuck it under the rock. Go, and we, we go to church. And I'm sitting watching the weather and it's starting to drizzle outside. And, and this box is actually submerged in the creek. Put a couple of rocks around it, but then it's starting to rain harder. Is it going to get washed away? All these thoughts, you know. I could not tell you at all what the preacher spoke about. <coughs> and uh, get home. We, of course, have to change and do the lunch thing. And then everybody um, just kind of was lounging. I didn't want to try and seem over-anxious. But at the appropriate time, I thought, okay, Elizabeth, why don't we um, go fishing? Well, this is a first. David doesn't go fishing. I borrowed my brother's fly pole, and let's just see if we can catch anything up and down, just for fun. You know, we'll just try it out. It's kind of drizzling out there. Oh, come on, we've got to get outside, and I'm tired. Come on, you know. Well, you're not going to catch anything unless you have some bait on the hook. And so her uncle has taken me out and dig up worms. First worm. Plink. Okay, th- that's good. We're fine. No, you need more than that. So more and more. Finally, we get down to the bottom of the creek. And we're going to work our way up to this little hole. And it's just a disaster. I mean, fly fishing in a creek with rhododendron and all the rest. It doesn't work. I'm thinking, oh, this is really bad. And she's, can we go back now? Well, I just want to try a little bit longer. <laughs> so we get to the hole, and my plan was this rope was going up a big rock and had some leaves and sticks. And if I could just snag that rope, you know, just put it over the rock and pull it back and just, you know, what's this kind of a thing. That was... <sighs> there wasn't a plan B. <laughs> This was the plan. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I can't get the thing to hook. Elizabeth says, let me try. By this time, we've caught a couple of crawdads, and I don't know what all. <laughs> sure, fine, try. Whole thing's a wash. So first time, she cast it over some, other, some random, you know, and then blink, clink, and I'm like, don't move. <laughs> And I rush down there from the bank and I scramble and I start pulling on the rope. It's all coming together, right, Bill? And so I pull this thing out of the water and water's starting to kind of pour out of it. I'm hoping the bottom doesn't fall out of it. And that was about the time that, that is it Eric Rudolph? Was living in the woods right there near Andrews, North Carolina. So Elizabeth's look on her face is, what is that? You know, is that something buried in the creek? And let's see what's in it. I don't know if I want to, you know. And we pull it up. And, and by this time, I'm just kind of shaking. And I open it up. And, and, and even at this point, the rest is kind of a blur. I know I, I read to her, I pulled out the Bible, and I read Proverbs 31. Virtuous woman or wife. 
Then I also read 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And then I asked if she'd be my bride, and she said yes, and she got to tell her mom, and she was all excited, and whew. Rest of the afternoon, we got to sit undercover in the port swing and call relatives. But I really like Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter that Phelan did such a wonderful job reading to us. Because especially this time of year, society tries to pin us down and tell us what love is, right? U.S. News and World Report estimates that $19 billion will be spent this Valentine's Day. That's a chunk of change. And the world tries to tell us that if you really care about your, your significant other, well, I have to buy two dozen extremely overpriced roses. I have to get chocolates. I have to, you know, do all these other things. Is that really what true love is all about? Now, don't get me wrong. Flowers are nice. Chocolates are good. Sweet nothings and notes, those are a wonderful thing. But the whole gimmicky thing behind Valentine's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I believe necessarily in Valentine's and the whole background of that, but I sure do believe in love. Love's a good thing. And there in 1 Corinthians, we have outlined for us, very specifically, what is love? How to love? And even what love isn't? So I invite you to turn there with me to 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. As we try and figure out, how can I love well? How can I glorify God in my relationships? Who created marriage in the first place? Who instituted this thing called love? God. So if anybody would know what love is, God would know. Sadly, I think when it comes to our marriages, those closest to us, well, let me back up. Everybody else gets the best and those closest to us get the rest. Is that ever the case with you? But they're the ones that see who we really are. They're the ones that see our flat side. They're the ones that put up with us, warts and all. How do I glorify God in my relationships, especially those closest to me? That's what we're talking about this morning. And that may be a spouse. That may be a live-in parent. That may be a child. And, you know, you can just go on from there. These are principles you can apply to other situations, even though we'll be talking about you know, a romantic situation or a husband and a wife primarily. But these principles, I believe, you can apply across the board. Don't you think? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, we read, Love is patient. Love is kind, is how the NIV renders that. Here we find these two main building blocks of love. Everything else is merely extension of these two attributes, if you will. Love is patient. Love suffers long, according to the New King James Version. It's the same word that we find in Romans 12.12, 12, where Paul challenges us to be patient in tribulation. So this first piece I want to talk about is how we react to negative situations. 
where the natural response is perhaps to lash out or get even, hold them accountable for their shameless mistake, to react with impatience or anger. So here on the front end, the word challenge. When you're mistreated, when you have a right, so you think, to be angry, when you're treated unfairly, the first pillar reminds us that love is patient. Love suffers long. It's a choice, by the way, that I'm going to control my emotions rather than let my emotions control me. Let me ask you, is anger your default when treated unfairly? If so, you're spreading poison instead of medicine. Anger almost never makes things better. But patience stops problems dead in their tracks. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So how will you react when she locks her keys in the car again? How will you respond when he makes another big purchase you can't afford? The reality is, few people are harder to live with than an impatient person. Have you noticed that? 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another. Sadly, few of us do patience well. And none of us do it naturally. But if we're wise, we will pursue it as an essential ingredient for all our relationships. Love is patient. Let me ask you, was Jesus patient with Judas? Was Jesus patient with Peter? Was he patient with Thomas? Is he patient with you and I? So then I challenge you to be patient with those closest to you. I challenge you to see how long you can go without saying something negative to your spouse, your parent, your child. And if the temptation arises, be silent. This past week I was speaking with someone about a theological issue. And they were very passionate about their view and their insights and everything else. And and we've had this conversation before and they know how I feel and it's different than how they feel. And I could have gotten riled up. I could have gotten frustrated. I could have said, you know what? But I didn't. Somehow I felt like the Lord was just telling me to calm down, stay quiet, keep my mouth shut. Now, please understand, I could cite dozens of times where I didn't do that and I didn't do what I should have, but in this time I felt like the Holy Spirit was helping me to do the right thing and just keep it zipped. But I still was frustrated that 
discussion, that conversation. It was still kind of rubbing on me. And I went back, and the Lord led me to Ministry of Healing, chapter 41. It says, In Contact with Others is the title. And I started reading that. And here's a few excerpts from that chapter. Every association of life calls for the exercise of self-control, forbearance, and sympathy. We cannot afford to let our spirits chafe over any real or supposed wrong. There is wonderful power in silence. Under a storm of stinging, fault-finding words, keep the mind stayed upon the Word of God. Let mind and heart be stored with God's promises. If you are ill-treated or wrongfully accused, instead of returning an angry answer, repeat to yourself the precious promises. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12:21. Christ was curious even to his persecutors and his true followers will manifest the same spirit. Easier said than done, isn't it? It's much easier to get agitated and overreact or get loud or upset, punch back, so to speak. But I can tell you, in my situation, that only would have made matters worse, not better. I can tell they weren't open for a discussion on the topic. No, love is patient. Love suffers long, even in the face of tribulation. Can I speak to the men for just a moment? Three tips for the men on how to be patient. Now, I'm no expert, but dummies learn things too from time to time. Tip number one. When women have a problem, let's say a flat tire, for example, they don't need you to fix it. They need you to listen. Now, I've already lost half the men. What does that mean? She's crying because she's late for the big appointment. I fixed the tire. I fixed the problem. What us men don't understand is that what she is feeling about the problem is more important to her than the problem itself. Guys, have you ever been accused of not listening? Yet you know when this conversation started, and it was over an hour ago, and now they're telling you you're not listening? What do you mean I'm not listening? Translation? What she is feeling is actually the real problem. Therefore, listening to her feelings solves the problem. Ah, that takes too long. Guys, love is patient. She needs to talk it out. And I'm not talking about during a commercial break. She needs your full attention. She needs eye contact. No multitasking. And here is the key. You listening, guys? Instead of filtering out her emotions and focusing on the problem, <clears throat> filter out the problem. I know it doesn't make any sense. Filter out the problem and focus on her emotions. If you understand that, then she's open to talking about the problem and yeah, you can fix the flat tire and life can go on. 
Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe it doesn't to you, but it does to her. Does it make sense to listen for an hour and a half and be accused of not listening? Not exactly. Tip number two for the men. And don't worry, guys, I didn't figure this out on my own, okay? I got it from another book my wife gave me. I'm really not that insightful. <laughs> Buried inside most women, even those great relationships, is the latent insecurity about whether their man really loves them. For us men, we say, I do. That seals it. It's done. For women, they often like to ask, do you? I said, I do. Yes, but what about today? Do you love me? Do you cherish me? And the fact is, when that latent insecurity is triggered, they're often preoccupied with getting the relationship back on track. It doesn't work to say, well, I told you yesterday, or I told you last week. Did you tell her today? So what do you do, men? Reassure her often. Every morning, wake up and tell her first thing how much you love her. Every day? Yes. Every day. Because love is patient. Stop and think about it. Scripture is littered with promises to us because of our insecurities, right? And we need assurance. Does God really love us? Does He care for us? Did He really die for us? Is He really coming to save us? I mean, do you find yourself getting to the book of Romans and reading, I told you already! No! He tells us again. Well, what about when I need space? What about when I need to go into my cave? That's fine. As long as you reassure her first with something like, I need space right now, but I want you to know that we're okay. Don't try and figure it out, men. Just do it. <laughs> Tip number three. How you doing, guys? You hanging out in there with me? Tip number three. Since most women process thoughts and feelings... Yes, we're talking about thoughts and feelings again. Work with me here. Since most women process thoughts and feelings by talking about them, they need to be able to get their feelings out on the table and have us listen. And here's the key, guys. Without us taking it personally or getting defensive. Do I need to repeat it? Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient without us taking it personally or getting defensive. One woman, it's not Elizabeth, but it certainly could be, described how she feels this way. She writes, When I tell him how I feel inside about something concerning our relationship, I'm just trying to share my feelings with him so we can discuss it. He takes it as criticism and turns it around so I feel like the bad guy for bringing it up. He says that I never do anything right and I can never please you, which isn't true. So the problem never really gets discussed. 
I wish he could understand that it's important for me to be able to talk about these things and understand that I'm not being critical. Maybe that's the hardest one for us guys, huh? Men, have you learned to listen well, even when you're feeling under attack? Because the reality is you're probably not. Again, she's just trying to express how she feels and discuss things. And by not getting defensive, by not getting upset, you are showing her that you love her in a very deep way. That you care for how she feels more than how you feel. And if we do that, you know what they think? One woman said this, after a great conversation, I just want to kiss him and tell him how very, very much I appreciate him. Just the opposite. But often we don't get to that point because we get defensive. Why do you have to bring this up? Love is patient. Maybe instead of two dozen roses, we should give two dozen coupons, promising to do three things. Listen with our full undivided attention. Focus on the emotions and not the problem. And thirdly, promise not to get offended or defensive or upset. She will cherish those, believe me. Love is patient. Love is kind. I mentioned earlier, those are the two founding blocks, those two pillars, if you will. And everything else hangs on these two in a relationship of love. Love is patient and love is kind, and they're both a choice. Patience is how love reacts in order to minimize a negative consequence. Kindness acts to maximize a positive circumstance. Patience avoids a problem. Kindness creates a blessing. Patience is often preventative. Kindness is proactive. Kindness is what makes somebody likable, fun to be around. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. Is truth important? You bet it is. Yet there we have kindness and truth together, included. Both are necessary. Both kindness and truth are to be bound around our necks. Both kindness and truth are to be written on our hearts. Is it possible to be right in a way that's unkind? Is it possible that as a church we're better at being right than we are at being kind? Because we need both. Our relationships need both. Kindness means being gentle, never being unnecessarily harsh, being sensitive. Tender. Kindness means bending over backwards to make your rebuke or challenge as easy to hear as possible. Kindness means speaking the truth, yes, but in love. Kindness means helpfulness, meeting the needs of the moment. And that might mean vacuuming, cleaning the bathrooms, doing the dishes, all those counts. 
Kindness means a willingness to cooperate. Stay flexible, compromise, accommodate. Kindness is taking the initiative, thinking ahead, taking the first step. Kindness greets first, smiles first, serves first, and forgives first. Kindness does not require the other to get their act together before showing love. No, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, rather it's content. Does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others. Now hit the pause button right there. Love does not dishonor others. New King James, love does not behave rudely. Okay, women, you thought I was done. It's your turn. You want the top needs of men? You know what it is? No, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about that one. Respect. One of the top needs of men is respect. The male needs to has a great need for respect and affirmation. In fact, it's huge. Yet 80% of men, or four-fifths of men, say that in conflict they are likely to feel disrespected. For a man, feeling inadequate and disrespected makes him feel unloved. And ladies, how can you tell if a man feels disrespected? The barometer for that one is if he starts to get angry or frustrated. Crying is often woman's response to feeling unloved. Anger is often man's response to feeling disrespected. I think that's why in Ephesians 5, wives are called to submit to respect their husbands and husbands are called to love their wives. We don't see it the other way around because we are wired differently. Women need love, men need respect. So ladies, just as you want the man in your life to love you unconditionally, even when you're not particularly lovable, your man needs you to demonstrate your respect for him regardless of whether he's meeting your expectation at the moment or not. So what does that mean to respect your man? I'll give you four areas. Area number one, he needs you to respect his judgment. Don't argue with every decision that he makes. Rather, respect his knowledge, his opinions, and decisions. In fact, defer to him sometimes. Call on his knowledge in a given subject. Men don't like to be ordered around like one of the kids. But sadly, many men feel their opinions and decisions were actively valued in every area of their lives. Their opinions, their decisions, they were valued every area of their lives except at home. Is that a problem? He needs you to respect his judgment. Number two, he needs you to respect his abilities. Let him figure it out on his own. I know, ladies, you want to help, but do you know that that often is misinterpreted as, you guessed it, distrust, lack of respect. Honey, will you just stop and ask for directions? 
Men love to figure things out for ourselves. That's how we're wired. So if we can figure out our way around the hazards of this concrete jungle with an old map and our wits, we feel like we've conquered something. We feel affirmed, excited, encouraged, alive. Well, that's dumb, some of you women might be thinking. Well, maybe, but you women are weird in your own way. Just hold on to our strong arm, look into our eyes, and tell us how safe you feel and how capable we are. What's more important, being on time or his feeling as a provider? Because in a man's mind, if you don't trust him with the little things, like finding your way on the road, you certainly don't trust him with the big things, like being a good breadwinner or a good father. He needs you to respect his judgment, his abilities. Thirdly, he needs you to respect how you communicate with him. How does a man hear disrespect? Well, dear, it's not your fault. You just really aren't a fix-it type of person. Ouch. Interpretation? Incapable and poor provider. That's what we hear. Are you ever going to get around to getting those brakes fixed? Interpretation? Laziness? Distrust? Disappointed? You failed again. Reminders oftentimes are seen as disappointments in our minds. And maybe that's why we refer to them as nagging. I don't know. And it may not be so much what you say, but how he hears it. So try to be more sensitive in your approach. Communicate in ways that show you respect him, that you know he is capable of providing, and that he is high, and that this is high on your priority list, and chances are it will get done much faster. And area four, he needs your respect in public. One of the most painful things for men is for their wives to criticize them in public, putting them down or even questioning their judgment in front of other people. Even good-natured teasing can sometimes be humiliating. Let me put it in layman's terms for you, ladies. The male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. Do you want your man to think the world of you? Publicly build him up. Do you think he's a great father? Tell your dinner guest something he did with the kids just yesterday. But women, you hold incredible power to either build up or tear down your man. Because respect at home truly affects every area of a man's life. Just as you love to hear, I love you, men love to hear, I'm proud of you. And on the rare occasion that you mess up, don't say, I'm sorry I made you feel X, Y, Z, so and so. Men don't like to be told how we're feeling. Honestly, we don't even know ourselves half the time how we're feeling. So instead, say something like this. I'm sorry I did that. That was disrespectful. I know I can trust you. Love does not dishonor others. 
If a man's wife is supportive and believes in him, he can conquer the world, or at least a corner of it. And he will do better at work and at home and everywhere if he feels respected. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Could you say that about your relationship? Do you have a love that always protects? A love that chooses not to give what I need, but what they need. A love that builds up rather than tears down. A love that seeks to better understand and fulfill the needs of the other. And this selfless kind of love that can only come from God. Philippians 2, 1-4 reminds us, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So on this Valentine's Day, may we learn the biblical principles of true love that don't originate with cupids or cut out hearts, but originate with the heart of the Almighty God who created us, formed us, fashioned us, and made us uniquely different on purpose. And who teaches us how to be selfless how to preserve, how to protect, how to be patient, and how to be kind. How to love. By the grace of Jesus Christ, may we choose to better love those that are closest to us today. Dear Heavenly Father, you knew it wasn't good for us to be alone. And so you created a helpmate for us. And Lord, when you are in the center of our lives and in our relationships, when there is love at home, everything is better. But the devil knows that, and so he attacks in any and every way that he can to drive us apart. Lord, I pray that we will choose to love each other as you have first loved us, that we will be selfless, that we will be patient, that we will be kind, that we will protect that beautiful relationship you instituted so long ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.